Thank you for tuning in to the sermon podcast from Redeeming Hope. We exist as a family of faith that follows Jesus and helps others find him by living all of life as missionaries of hope. If you want more information about our church or would like to support our ministry, go to our website at redeeminghope.org. Please enjoy the sermon podcast. Our text for today is in Luke 2, and it's really uh, talking about the presentation of Jesus at the temple where the prophet Simeon blesses Jesus. And we're going to explore, as we again can walk through this sermon series, um, uh, Disintegration, Reintegration, we're going to explore the suffering of sudden or unexpected death and how God inhabits our suffering and makes us more like Jesus. So we're going to begin with Luke 2, starting in verse 34. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel, and for a sign that is opposed, and a sword will pierce through your own soul also. My friends, I want to introduce our time today by talking about the disintegration of sudden death. And as we've been talking about our sermon series, Disintegration, Reintegration, what we've been looking at is how disintegration is is a breaking down, and this is what happens when suffering is introduced in our life. And then we see how, like Legos that are being built and knocked over, how our individual parts might still be connected together, but uh, still be intact um, individually, but, but we just become separate or disparate as a person. We become disintegrated. And what we see is that that's not the end of the story. And the gospel tells us that, that Jesus actually reintegrates us back in, that he reunifies us again. He builds us back up after suffering, or even in the midst of suffering, to be something different and more glorious than we were before. And my friends, every type of suffering is a disintegration, but there's different sufferings are break us down in, in different ways. And so um, today we're talking about how the sudden death of a spouse, a parent, a child, or a loved one is devastating. And part of us feels like we died too, doesn't it? And so what we find is that a sudden death breaks down relational identity, who we are in relation to other people and in community. So first we see that the, 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 the pang of a sudden or unexpected loss, it breaks us down immediately. Just immediately it alters the course of our life. When we get that call, when we're in the room, when we experience that traumatic death, it truly does hit us like a ton of bricks. And C.S. Lewis, who we're going to be quoting from a number of times here, has a lot to say about this. And he says these words in A Grief Observed. He says, the death of a beloved is an amputation. And my friends, we are individually, who we are individually is always connected with who we are in relationship with. And so who you spend your time with, it truly does influence you and it shapes you. And the sudden death of someone close to you, it actually destroys a part of your identity that was formed through that relationship. So it, it's, it's like a concentric circle. It's like spokes on a wheel, if you will. And if, if, if someone is close to you and, and, and they, they suddenly are removed from your life through a sudden or unexpected death, that, that causes you to become disoriented. It causes you to, to experience immense suffering and pain. 
And the degree of closeness to that person determines the degree of disintegration, right? So the closer they are to you, the closer your degree of disintegration. So we see that waves of grief begin to flow in light of this sudden loss that begin to mark us. And in the present moment, it's like an electric shock to our system. It's like our whole world is altered when someone close to us dies. And that sudden loss also not only breaks down us in the moment, but it actually breaks down our future as well. We don't simply mourn the loss of a loved one. We actually suffer the loss of a future with that loved one. So when a parent or a grandparent dies, we lose their wisdom. We lose seeing their future involvement with our our own children, and maybe we actually might lose the opportunity to engage in reconciliation with them if there has been turmoil or trouble in your relationship, and that can leave unresolved issues. So again, that's affecting the future. Um, When a child dies, we lose their future self. We lose seeing them to maturity and how they would have impacted the world. We lose a part of our legacy in them and their legacy that they could have left. When a spouse dies, we lose our future partnership, their future partnership in our lives. We lose seeing how we would grow old together, deeper into friendship. We lose our ability to be one with them, and that's a deep, deep suffering and pain. And when a close friend or close relative dies, we actually lose a part of what we have voluntarily given to them. Right? So when you have a parent or a grandparent that dies, um, most often they're in closest proximity to you just by nature of you being born right? and then being your parent or brother or sister or child. But when you have a close friend or maybe even a distant relative that you have grown close with that dies, there's also an additional grief because you have voluntarily given of your soul to them. And then there is that pain of that loss. So they've, you kind of let them in and they were deeply close to you and intimate with you, and then, and, then, and then they're lost. And so, my friends, to love is to be vulnerable with our present and with our future. And this is a quote from, another quote from C.S. Lewis in The Four Loves. He says these words. He says, to love at all is to be vulnerable. Love anything and your heart will be wrung and possibly broken. If you want to make sure of keeping it intact, you must give it to no one, not even an animal. Wrap it carefully around with hobbies and little luxuries. Avoid all entanglements. Lock it up safe in the casket or coffin of your selfishness. But in that casket, safe, dark, motionless, airless, it will change. It will not be broken. It will become unbreakable, impenetrable, irredeemable. To love is to be vulnerable. And my friends, not only do we experience the the pain in the present, not only do we lose a future with this person who has been lost, but then our response to sudden loss is very complex, multifaceted, and actually sin and suffering wrap together into even multiplying the pain of brokenness and the pain of loss even more, um, just because of our fallen nature and our propensity towards sin and selfishness in the midst of suffering. So uh, anytime someone is is sinning, there's, there's always a suffering underneath of that that's probably driving them to, to sin, to commit sin against others. But every time someone is suffering, most often there's still some element of the brokenness of the fall that is driving them maybe not to respond in the most healthy of ways. And so um, there's two different ways that we can respond to sudden death or sudden unexpected loss. And the first one 
is hiding a lack of emotional transparency. So these might be people that's, that are focusing on the funeral, right? Focusing on others. Are you okay? Are you okay? Talking with this person, talking with that person. And then when anyone asks them how they're doing, they say, oh, I'm fine. I'm good. Don't worry about me. And really what happens is that pushing down the emotions does not stop them. It just pauses them and lets them fester. And so really that that hurt, that, the hurt that, that, that pushes us inward towards self-defense and pride is really rooted in self-reliance. It's really rooted in image protection. And so, again, the surface level might be altruistic and seem altruistic and is altruistic, but, but on a deeper level, it's really self-reliance and image protection. But then there's another facet of that, which is the overworking side, where the pain is threaded through everything. Um, when sudden loss happens, emotions can go into overdrive, constantly sharing, grieving without hope. Um, the words, I'll never be fine again, I'll never be put back together, kind of come up to the surface. And really what happens in those moments is, is, is when a person is doing that, they're expressing every emotion all the time. And that constant flow is like a gaping wound that's bleeding without pressure or gauze on it. And it will just keep bleeding and sucking the life out of you. And so what happens there is the hurt pushes us outward, right, towards self-expression and codependency, seeking approval from others by deflecting pain. And so whether you, you, you hide to push inward, right, towards self-reliance, or you hide uh, or, or you push outward towards self-expression, codependency, um, both of those will multiply the pain of sudden death and loss. But my friends, there is good news for us today. The good news is that God gives us another way to respond to grief. Now, in order for us to respond well, we must first explore what's happening underneath our grief. What is the reality underneath that sudden death that the suffering is pointing us to. So in order for us to know how to respond well, we must first look at the reality underneath our sudden death. See, in the grief that flows, something is happening. There's a deeper reality is being exposed in you in the midst of your pain. And that reality, I'm going to argue, is that the grief is a weakening of, of your. It's actually seeing how you are weak. The grief is disorienting. It's seeing how you, you're not stable in and of yourself. And the grief really shakes our lives to show us who we truly are and to help us see who we are and who God is so that we can actually have the potential to grow through that. So now going to the text for today, so going back to Luke 2, um, it actually shows us a model on how to grieve. And it begins with Mary giving birth to Jesus. So Mary gives birth to Jesus at the beginning of Luke. Now, after eight days, as is the custom um, to be an observant Jew, they take Jesus to the temple and he is there named, he is circumcised, and a specific sacrifice was offered to dedicate the newborn baby to the Lord. Now, what's interesting is that Mary and Joseph couldn't afford the normal offering of a lamb, which was typical for someone who would come to the temple. That was too expensive for them. And so they actually had to buy two doves, which were very, very um, cheap because they couldn't afford a full lamb to offer for their newborn son. Um, what's, that's, that's a whole other conversation for another day. But then we get to Luke 2. And as they're going into the temple to dedicate Jesus, to, be, to have him circumcised, to name him, and to offer these sacrifices, now and we've come to Luke 2, starting in verse 25, it says these words. It says, Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. 
And this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, essentially waiting for the Savior. And the Holy Spirit was upon him, and it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. So essentially, this was a faithful man who served in the temple, and he, God had promised him, and he said, hey, before you die, you're going to see the promised Savior. You're going to see the one that's going to set the world right again. And so what happens is Mary and Joseph come in, and they're, they're carrying baby Jesus. And when Simeon sees Jesus, he actually breaks out into singing. He breaks out into a poetic song. This is what he says in Luke 2.29. He says, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples. A light for the revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. And his father and mother, Mary and Joseph, marveled at what was said about Jesus. This is called the Nunc Dimittis. This is the Song of Simeon. And it's this beautiful prophecy. It's this beautiful celebration that this man who had been waiting probably for decades with the hope that before he died, he would see the, the savior of the world as a baby. Um, and so Simeon sees this, he's celebrating this, and this is really amazing stuff, right? He's confirming Mary's virgin birth, he's, it's confirmed that Joseph's adoption of Jesus as his own son was the right thing to do, and, and then we get to the text that we read earlier, and what we find is that this text is ominous, and it's sobering. This is what we see the text says. And Simeon blessed them. And then it says he said to Mary, his mother. So he blesses them, and then he turns to Mary and says, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel, and for a sign that is opposed, and a sword will pierce through your own soul also. So you should see, we're actually going to highlight each of these texts as we walk through it. And so you should see this first highlight, um, for the f- he's a, appointed for the fall of many. So Simeon says that Jesus will see many people humbled. And um, there's some debate among scholars about what this means, but really what we think that this is actually people being martyred. The fall of many people is the fall of people will be martyred in the course of following Jesus. He is appointed for the fall of many. But then it moves on and says he's also been appointed for the rising of many. And really what this presumes, if we presume that the fall of many is those who are falling in martyrdom and humility um, as they are, are claiming the name of Christ, what we see is that God will exalt those who are humbled and those who have been martyred. This is the humble being exalted. So there were many people that will fall down in death and martyrdom, but there will be many people that will be raised up or exalted because of their faithfulness. The next thing we want to focus on, he says that he is appointed and for a sign that is opposed. My friend Simeon says that human beings will resist Jesus. And that for many, Jesus will not be the hope of a promise fulfilled, but rather a figure who is to be opposed and and fought against. And Simeon knows that although Jesus is God's hope, not everyone will respond positively to him. He will suffer the pains of rejection and opposition. And what he's doing is he's telling Mary these things. He's actually giving her a promise that actually Jesus is going to suffer opposition. And finally, we move to the last section, which is, and a sword will pierce through your own soul also. 
My friends, this is a prophecy. This is clearly a reference to when Jesus dies on the cross and a Roman soldier to ensure Jesus is dead pierces his side. And so he's telling Mary these very somber things in the midst of this beautiful celebration, which actually kind of points us to the narrative of Jesus' life, celebrating that he is the Messiah. But Jesus was a man of sorrows. He was well acquainted with grief. He experienced grief throughout the course of his life. And if we fast forward, Jesus is unjustly accused. He's hanging on the cross. He's being murdered, suffering the most horrific death in history as the only truly innocent person who has ever walked the earth. And what we see is that Jesus' mother is at the foot of his cross. She is bearing the immense suffering of his imminent death. Can you imagine mothers standing there watching your son suffer so much, knowing that he didn't do anything wrong? And what he does is he speaks to her a word of comfort. Jesus on the cross in the center of his suffering, in the whirlwind of taking on the sins of the whole world and the physical agony and turmoil, he says these words. When Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved, that's John, standing nearby, he said to his mother, woman, behold your son. And he said to John, behold your mother. And from that hour, the disciple John took her to his own home. My friends, even in the center, the whirlwind of Jesus' suffering, physical, mental, emotional, spiritual anguish, being ripped apart from his father, being ripped apart by experiencing sin, becoming the embodiment of sin for us on the cross. Jesus was caring for his mom. Even on the cross, as he suffered the weight of all the sins of the world, he was experiencing sudden, imminent death, and yet he was still being a faithful son. And I wonder if Mary in the hours following his death, after his side was pierced with that Roman sword, if she remembered the words of Simeon, if she remembered the prophecy uttered so many years ago of the suffering that she would experience. Now you see, he says, a sword will pierce your soul also. What does this teach us about the reality of sudden or unexpected death? My friends, the scriptures actually give us the space to say that other people's death is a death inside of us too. Like, when, when they are pained, when other people are pained with death, we become pained with death. And Mary's side was pierced with the pain of her son's death. And just like Mary's side was pierced with pain as she saw her own son pierced, so our sides are pierced with the suffering of those we love as well. My friends, Mary suffers the loss of her son. And she still loved him. She's still with his mom until the day he died, faithful even to stay at his cross feeling his wounds as deeply as any other human being alive. And the reality underneath the death is that part of us dies when a loved one dies. And it is okay to grieve. I want you to be honest about that. It's okay to grieve. It's okay to feel the depths of pain. It's being like Mary who modeled for us what this looks like. And my friends, God is shattering our security in sudden loss. And he's actually teaching us something about our natural state. C.S. Lewis says these words in A Grief Observed. He says, God has not been trying an experiment on my faith or love in order to find out their quality. He knew it already. He always knew that my temple was a house of cards. His only way of making me realize the fact was to knock it down. My friends, suffering through in this deep, intimate, personal, challenging way is God knocking down our house of cards, knocking down our security, knocking down our confidence in our relationships, in our future with other people. Grief exposes our weak hearts that are in need. 
Grief is disorienting. It shows us that we're naturally not oriented to the truth, that we naturally are not drawn towards the truth. And grief is a death inside of us too. And Mary is a model of how to suffer and how her suffering mirrors the suffering of God in losing his son. My friends, our suffering shows us that we are weak, that we are desperate, that we are insecure. And that's the reality underneath sudden death. So the question that you might be begging to ask and that I'm begging uh, for us to get to is where is the hope in this? This doesn't sound like a lot of hope. But my friends, Christ's sudden death models for us what it looks like. And actually, there's an incredible hope that Christ's death brings for us. My friends, the model of Jesus in his sudden death is this, that Jesus entered into death at the prime of his life. We could very easily say he had so much more that he could have done. He only had three years of full-time ministry. But we see that Jesus actually died in the prime of his life. What does that mean for us? Well, Paul says these words in Philippians 3. He says this. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings becoming like him in his death. My friends, the death that you experience internally when a person, when a loved one dies is actually you becoming like Jesus in his death. Now we're going to talk about this through this visual imagery of something called the J curve. And I want to put this image, the first image up on the screen. And uh, the J curve is developed by a man named Paul Miller. And it actually says that our life of suffering can follow the life of Jesus. It can actually follow the pattern of Jesus. The pattern of our suffering can follow the pattern of Jesus. We see on, uh, as, we, as you look at this J curve, we see that Jesus suffers. And what we see even in the book of Philippians, it says Jesus condescended that he laid aside his rights as God, that he left heaven, and he lived a really hard life. He engages in this disintegration, this breaking down of, of, of his physical body, and he lays aside the rights of God. And then we see at the bottom that Jesus dies, that Jesus was completely broken apart on the cross, that he was separated from his father, that he was separated, um, uh, that he embodied all of the sins of the whole world. He was completely torn apart on the cross. And then we see that Jesus resurrects, that he accomplishes the ultimate work of salvation and redemption for all people. He's alive, right? And what's really helpful about this is the J-curve grounds our emotions in reality, right? So we can truly suffer. We can be honest about it because Jesus truly suffered. Jesus was honest about it. And the J-curve actually gives us a narrative to view our sufferings through. And I want you to look at this this through the, the suffering of a sudden death. You see, my friends, you and I, when we encounter sudden or unexpected loss, we are going through a descent, right? So we start with having sacrificial love for a person. Um, we start then having relational pain. Of course, when you have pain, when you love someone and your relationship with them, and, and, and you're, there's, there's tension, of course, with any relationship. And then we see that we invest in that person, right? So this other person, our friend, um, a spouse, a loved one, a child, even, even an unborn baby, we're investing in them and in their future. And there is an incredible, 
incredible hope for a future with our, our, our friend who has died, right? With our spouse, with our parent, with our loved one, with our child, with our relative. And then we see the descent that there is a sudden death. Now, the death is not the death that we're talking about. That's actually part of the suffering. That's part of the narrative descent. And there's three responses we can have at the bottom of the J-curve, right? There's hiding, which is really a lack of emotional transparency. There's overworking. We can just ignore it. We can, be an act, we can be an activist, right? We can just thread the pain of loss through everything. Or my friends, you can die with Christ. And this is what dying looks like in the midst of sudden or unexpected death. This is what it looks like to die with Christ. I believe the Spirit is with me in my loved one's death that God's spirit is inhabiting my dying that I experienced when my loved one died. When my side was pierced with their death, he was present. And he was there. And he knew that it was going to happen. And I still stubbornly cling to the reality that God is good and that he loves me. God lost his own son in death and thus he knows what it's like for me to lose the person I love. I submit to the reality that God can still be good when I don't get the life that many of my friends have, either a long life with my spouse, more time with my parents, watching my children grow up, or being with my relative for a long haul. And in fact, God can still be good when I don't get the life that many of my friends have. And the Holy Spirit shows me in my complete weakness and dependency in the midst of my grief that knowing Jesus and having more of him is the most important thing. I am dependent completely on Jesus because everything is taken away from me. I am dying to myself right now. That's what it looks like to die in the J-curve. Now, God does not leave us there in the death and the disintegration. What he does is he resurrects us. So this is a picture of what resurrection could look like. I walk the long path of resurrection by seeing the reality of who I truly am. I am weak and often love God for what he gives me. I learn humility, and I learn to see that I need to be transformed by God. I then walk into a greater reality of who God is, and how he actually lavishes me with his love, despite my external circumstances and the sudden death of someone that I love. I am then reintroduced to a new hope, and the hope is not that my loved one will be with me, but that God is always with me and has been always with me. This is an unshakable hope that cannot be overcome by this sudden death in my life. Then I begin to rediscover that God loves me, that he's infinitely good. He provides for me, even if my loved one suddenly dies. Because God's love is not contingent on getting the life I wanted, getting the life of what others have, but in being with Jesus, I am then resurrecting into newness. I am resurrecting into renewal because I'm being reshaped to be more like Jesus. And I am tasting more of the surpassing value of knowing Jesus is truly all I need when Jesus is all I have. My friends, the hope is in the resurrection and resurrection always comes for the Christian. And this is where I lead us to a period of self-reflection. Because if you're joining us and you're not yet a follower of Jesus, you have not received that resurrection for yourself. But you can. If you just simply hear this message that Jesus died for you as your substitute because of your brokenness. 
You believe that it's true for you. It's not just true in an ethereal sense, but it's true for you today that you need him. And then you say, not only do I believe it's true, but I want to obey Jesus by making him Lord over my life. If you do that, that's what makes you a Christian. And that's what introduces you to the opportunity and the beauty of resurrection. Now, my friends, if you are a follower of Jesus, if you look back on your life and you have put a stake in the ground, Christian, you can still reject Jesus coming into your suffering. You can either try to hide or overwork too. But my friends, there is a better way. And my call to you is to come to him with your grief. Let him lead you through the cross and into resurrection. Now, as we close our time out, you know, uh, at the beginning of January, we have a dear friend of ours who had a family member who committed suicide because of the infidelity of a spouse. And that person left behind a little child as well. And it was so challenging. And we were on the phone together. We were crying together. We were grieving together. And as we talked, they said, this feels like hell. This feels like literal hell. And I said, you're right. Absolutely, it feels like hell. And the image that came to mind was the image of a cave, a hellish cave. And if you've ever experienced death, let me speak to you directly right now as we look at this image of a cave. My friends, sudden death is an absolute cavern of hell. No words that I can say can assuage your pain. No sermon can help you or Bible verse put a band-aid on your gaping heart-exposing wound. But my friends, I know that our Redeemer lives and that Jesus has already entered into your personal hell. That he knows every depth, every cavern of your pain. That he has already explored every crevice of your suffering. He has already traced every, every vein of your pain. And he has found you where you are today. That Jesus is not going to leave you. He is close to you. He is sitting with you in this darkness right now. That you can sit in the grief cave. You can bring your pain, your anger, your heartache and despair. You can bring it all to him in the cavern because he can take it. He is sitting with you in this hell. He is not cold or distant. Neither is he surprised at your pain. He knew about it from the, before the world began. And remember this, he will sustain you. He will not leave you. He is ever faithful. He is ever attentive to every wound that sin and darkness has caused in you. And one day, my friends, you will see the light of day again. The hope of Jesus is that God is teaching you about his entry into death for you, into your sudden death. He is working in this sudden death and the weakness that it brings for you. And we see, actually, we see part of this work in Romans 5. When Paul says these words, we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice also in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame. You are not put to shame when you hope in the resurrection of Jesus, because Listen to this. Why? Because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. My friends, God is teaching you 
that he is the better father or mother. He is the better son or daughter. He is the better friend, the better spouse, the better sibling, better brother or sister-in-law who will fill all the gaps that their absence from your life has created. My friends, God is not surprised with your grief. He is present in the midst of it. And he is finding you in your cave. He is sitting with you in the grief and wants to give you all of his heart and all of himself as you rest in his loving embrace. Thank you for listening. We gather every Sunday at the Clarksville area YMCA. For more information, please go to our website at redeeminghope.org.